Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. As the Hobbs administration enters its third month, only two of the governor's 26 appointees have faced confirmation hearings. Two others have dropped out. Today, we find out why it's proving so tough for the governor to assemble her management team. Plus, if you think it's too early for election polls, think again. OH Predictive Insights is at it again, and Mike Noble's here to talk very early numbers. Then a look at an agency that puts top priority on educating Arizona's voters. Coming up, what you could learn from the Arizona Clean Elections Commission. But first, the latest from the Capitol. Governor Katie Hobbs continues to try to put together her administration, but it's proving to be challenging. She's facing opposition at the hands of the newly formed Senate Director Nominations Committee. Health Director nominee Rear Admiral Teresa Cullen withdrew her name from consideration after facing three hours of blistering questioning about her COVID-19 policies. And Hobbs' original pick for the director of the Department of Child Safety dropped out after the committee singled out, quote, questionable incidents in his background. Now she's trying again with the nomination of David Lujan, the president and CEO of the Children's Action Alliance. Lujan also served in the State House and Senate and as Assistant Attorney General. We sat down with Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher to learn more about his chances of achieving confirmation. Howard, do we think that Lujan stands a better chance than his predecessor? Well, he certainly has a lot more history with the legislature. He was a state representative. He was a state senator. Uh, He has been around as the executive director of the Children's Action Alliance, which certainly understands the issues that are facing children. And certainly, if you're going to head the Department of Child Safety, that that is critical. Um, He's relatively low-key, soft-spoken, and uh, that may be helpful. The one area that may cause some concern is the fact that the Children's Action Alliance has uh, an, an offshoot, uh, which is studying issues of tax policy, and that Mr. Lujan, on behalf of executive director of that offshoot, has gone ahead and lobbied for things like the 3.5% surcharge on the incomes of the rich, which went on the ballot a couple of years ago, although it was, uh, it was voided for other reasons, uh, even though voters approved it. He has also argued against some of the tax cuts, including one being pushed this year to cut the corporate income tax rates by nearly half. So that's and not that's not earning him any points um, from the GOP side of the aisle. Well, that's true. I mean, he you know he can say, and I assume what he will say is, look, you know, I was advocating on behalf of my clients and the people that I am working for, including the Children's Action Alliance, and so there's a reason that I was doing this now. He'll probably say, do I believe that we need resources and that we shouldn't undercut our finances by cutting tax rates in in good periods because it'll hurt us when the recession comes on? Sure. How does that wash? Uh, It's hard to know. I mean, we've got this whole new committee process. As you know, prior to this year, if you were nominated for an agency, you went before a Senate committee that specialized in that area. So, for example, if you were nominated to be the health director, you went to the health committee. If you were nominated to be the director of the Department of Public Safety, you went before the Public Safety Committee or an Elections Committee or something else. They formed this special committee on director nominations, 
and they appointed Jake Hoffman as the chair. And Jake is a very, very partisan and very conservative Republican who has an idea of how things should be. And Howard, you spoke with Senator Hoffman earlier this week. Let's take a listen at what he said about the Lujan nomination process. We care about making sure that we have folks who understand the job, that can do the job, that can collaborate and communicate with not only uh, inside the agency, but also outside providers. We've got lots of vulnerable children in this state. We need to make sure that they get taken care of. And what's important is he's not ruling out uh, David Lujan. He's not ruling him in. He says we want to take a deep dive. Uh, But remember, this all comes against the backdrop of the fact that uh, Mr. Hoffman has been very clear in his attacks on Katie Hobbs, on Governor Hobbs, and her nomination process, and says that she's not properly vetting people. Uh, she has in turn accused him of political theater, trying to uh, wage war by attacking her nominees. And so there's no love lost there. Now, does any of that help Mr. Lujan? Probably not. Does it hurt him? Hard to say. Uh, this is a political process. It has been ever since I've been covering it. And so I do not know whether he will face unusual questioning. I'm presuming he, he doesn't have anything in his background that might disqualify him. I know there were issues in terms of Matthew Stewart, who is the Department of Child Safety Director, who the governor nominated, then withdrew, that raised questions about how he was acting when he first went in there uh, before she withdrew his name. Uh That doesn't seem to be the case for for the moment, but if Mr. Lujan takes over and gets to run the agency for a couple of weeks or a couple of months before a confirmation, I suppose lawmakers are going to want to know, well, what kind of job is he doing? Has the new committee approved any of her nominees so far? I think she's gotten through two of them, one at the Department of Economic Security and the other at the Department of Transportation, both of which were approved by by the committee, uh, as saying – well, we didn't find any reason to disqualify. This comes down to a larger philosophical question. Is that, What is the power of the governor to choose people of her own viewpoints? So, in other words, Katie Haas may have opinions on transportation policy, mass transit versus building more roads. Is she entitled to have somebody who represents that? Or are lawmakers entitled to bounce her, her nominee simply because they disagree with the governor's policy and that person's policy? In the past, in general, unless the person was clearly not qualified, they tended to confirm them. We obviously have a whole different situation now. Hobbs has not shied away from saying she believes this has become a completely, this is a partisan process. And she talked to you about that last last week. So let's take a listen to that. The committee has made it very clear uh, that they're not interested in seriously vetting uh, my nominations. They're interested in uh, carrying out their personal vendetta against me um, and using my nominees as proxy to do that. I noticed that this week she seems to be making, she seems to be in task force mode, the governor. She is very big on task forces. and It's always a safe position on anything rather than making radical changes, whether it's suggesting changes in election law, given the task force members who were appointed this week, or uh, the the murdered and and missing indigenous women. It's always helpful to form a task force. Truthfully, it's an interesting question, but I think it's a little bit of a political chicken because it's essentially saying, well, we'll study it to death, and then if the task force comes up with something that doesn't work out, it's not me who's recommended it. 
So I mean, that's not an unusual tactic for, for all politicians is let's, let's study it. Now, sometimes the task force can, can come up with some different ideas, some good ideas. Because if you have, again, on this election test, where you have people from different backgrounds, from inside and outside government, from people who understand how the election process works, how the voter registration process works, and they may be in a good position to to make recommendations. Now, note that the task force is supposed to be, on the election is supposed to report back until November, and then, of course, it be presented to the legislature in 2024, potentially in time for the 24, 24 legislative session. Uh, to, to enact it and uh, and for them to approve it ahead of the August 24 primary or not. But as I say, you know, it's, it's a good safety valve. I mean, I think there are, I've seen some very good task forces. I've also seen some that are basically just designed to kick the can down the road. I just thought it was, it seemed like it was a flurry. To me, it seemed like it was a flurry of task forces. And I just couldn't remember whether this was like standard protocol. It just seemed like a lot of task forces. Well, there's certain things that the governor cannot do by edict. I mean, let's take this election task force. The governor can't unilaterally make changes in state law regarding how elections are run, uh, how machines are operating, whether the machines should be certified in a different way. And by putting together the experts, you can come up with with something that can be presented to the legislature, people who are empowered to make the changes to the law. Uh, I think the lawmakers were a little miffed because they thought, well, she doesn't have any authority over elections. You know, we want to study it ourselves. So it'll be really fascinating to see if this task force comes up with something, whether the Republican-controlled legislature will say, yeah, that's all very nice, but we have different ideas. And you've seen over the last couple of weeks, and actually even before this past election, you know, that their ideas include uh, no early voting, uh, no voting by mail, uh, you know, new ID requirements and things like that. Uh, there are people who say, well, Early voting is, is subject to, to fraud. Well, you know, that, that's an interesting allegation that, that really hasn't been proven anywhere. And you also have the political reality that close to 90 percent of the people who voted in the last election voted early. They like the convenience of early voting. And OHPI, OH Predictive Insights, just did a poll that said that 75 percent of those people polled said they had no problem with the 2022 election. Well, and that's to a certain extent, it's really fascinating given that anytime you turn around, you have people like, you know, failed Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham, who continues to put out uh, fallacies and misinformation. They had the elections committee a couple of weeks ago where you had somebody come in and say that, that Katie Hobbs and current lawmakers and judges are all be on, on the take from the Sinaloa drug cartel. I mean, they're just pulling this out of some body orifice that we don't want to even talk about, I think, sometimes. <laughs> but but it does it, – it undermines public confidence, and they have no proof. They have – well, it, it, it smells wrong. Uh, and that's – you know, that's why I'm so surprised that so many people did, despite all that, say, generally, you know, we're confident in the election results. We're confident that Katie Hobbs won. We're confident that Mark Kelly won, despite, you know, claims to the contrary. Howard Fisher, Capital Media Services. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And you can look for Howard's continuing coverage of everything going on at the state capitol at kawc.org. What do pollsters do during the off-season? Who says there's an off-season? Mike Noble from OH Predictive Insights is already crunching the numbers, and he's here to talk about them. 
The conversation when the field from KAWC continues. I'm Lisa Sturgis. We'll be right back. Funding for the field comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. I'm Lisa Sturgis, and this is The Field from KAWC. Thanks so much for staying with us. November 2024 may seem like a long way off to some folks, but for pollsters, it's a mere 86 weeks of survey time. Mike Noble from OH Predictive Insights already has his sights set on the next presidential election and all the races that go with it. We caught up with Mike to talk about his first polls of the cycle and what they may tell us about what the political cards may hold. Mike, you've already got research on 2024. Yeah, interesting is a lot of people think uh, us pollsters, you know, we're only busy during election time. But uh, believe it or not, we actually poll uh, year round, whether it's an election year or non election year, just the difference is just we're, uh, I guess, less in demand <laughs> during the uh, when there's not an election going on. But no, we, we've been doing some uh, polling. So we got out uh, with our first uh, round of polling. We do uh, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah with our public opinion pulse trackers. But on Arizona, we did our first one since the election. It was, it was fascinating. We, we hit on a couple of the key topics that I think a lot of folks have been talking about, uh, primarily the, the U.S. Senate race that's coming up in 2024. It'll actually be our uh, Arizona's fifth consecutive U.S. Senate race, which is kind of unique because they're six-year terms. And so, but we've had, um, due to people leaving seats and things like that, uh, we just had one Senate election after another. So the 2024, which would be uh, Kirsten Cinema, who was a Democrat, but now she is now an independent moved and it it may actually be the most interesting and most watched u.s senate race in the country and arizonans are going to have a front row seat but what we found in the polling we wanted to game out because it's very rare to see a race where you have a republican democrat and then a very known and notable um uh independent let alone an incumbent u.s senator as that independent so uh, with a lot of these scenarios, there's people talking about, because it's so early on, obviously, of people talking about, okay, like, who's going to run and, and, and how does that impact it? Because compared to, a, you know, red versus blue team, now you have this third party in the mix. You know, we're really curious. I think the adage among most folks or the thought or belief among politicals is that, hey, with that independent in there, that's bad for the Democrats and good for Republicans. But our research actually showed the opposite. She does a real good job of working both sides of the aisle. So it looks right now like Gallego's going to run his own race, and then Cinema will still can be a strong contender. And then there's that Republican unknown. We did uh, eight scenarios. Uh, four of them, which were included Kirsten Cinema running as an independent, and then four without Kirsten in there because there are some 
potential rumblings that she might not actually run. Uh, again, that's a might, that's a maybe, hearsay. So, again, we want to try the different scenarios. So, of the Republicans, I wanted to pick uh, basically figuring out how this would impact the electorate of, of, of kind of gaming this out early. It was that you know, I picked two more uh, Chamber of Commerce, or I like to call them Doug Ducey-style Republicans, so kind of more moderate or like Chamber of Commerce type Republicans, like a Doug Ducey or Karen Taylor Robeson, who we tested in there. And then you have the other sect of the Republicans, which is that I'd say that that MAGA crowd or kind of that populist crowd, which is like Blake Masters and Carrie Lake fall into. And so I tested both of them um, in there to see like, hey, and the big takeaway was that it matters if Kirsten Sinema is running or not. And secondly, what type of Republican ultimately makes it through that primary. What we saw is that if you have like a juicier ropes in, uh, that is better for uh, Republicans overall because you get less moderate Republicans defecting to Kirsten Cinema. But if you have a Blake Masters or Carrie Lake, more of a hard right Republican, you see there's about 30% of Republicans defect over to Cinema. So basically the takeaway is a three-way matchup. If it is a, uh, you know, Doug Vesey style Republican, that is bad for cinema, good for Republicans. But if it is a, a more harder right, like a Laker Masters, that that is uh, good for cinema. It provides her a potential path to victory, uh, but also bad for Republicans um, that we see. Now, you've also begun to test the presidential waters for 2024, which is mm. obviously something that yeah. we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about, but not just yet. But the early winds are blowing. What are your um, what are your pollsters mm-hmm. learning from the voters? So there's two aspects of it. One is the the primary election, and that's more specifically the Republicans and Democrats have the incumbent president. Um, and so we'll start with the primary, and I'll get to the general. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is that what we see in the the, the primary? Is that it's it's literally a two way race, and you see it in a lot of the national polling and other state level, but even here in Arizona. It's Donald Trump in a strong first position at about 42%. And then Ron DeSantis here in Arizona is at 26%. Everybody else that we tested in there didn't even crack double digits. So like Nikki Haley, Liz Cheney, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Marco Rubio, uh, Ted Cruz, et cetera. None of them are there. So it's interesting because Trump's uh, support, he's been roughly around 40, 42% with Republicans. And even though it's not a majority, again, if you're not Trump, you kind of really fracture, everybody else fractures that vote. So it's interesting that it's really kind of Trump's primary to lose. And really the only way he loses is if it's like a one-on-one matchup between DeSantis and Trump. But obviously there's a lot of other people in the field. But what we did see from uh, uh, testing it is that, you know, Trump does great with the base, but however, Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, does better like bridging both sides of the Republican Party, so the establishment wing and then the uh, the more populist wing that we see. But it's going to be interesting to see ultimately who the GOP end up um, giving the nod out of the primary because one does probably compare a little better in the general, and that leads to the next is the general election, which we saw that among Arizonans, uh, when you look at Biden uh, versus Trump or Biden versus DeSantis. Biden versus Trump, he's, uh, Biden's about up by about two points compared to Ron DeSantis is, uh, is up by about uh, one point over Joe Biden. Only about three point difference between the two. But really the takeaway you see is that 
Biden, you see Democrats are a little bit more fired up, um, you know, a little more energized or motivated compared to if it's a Ron DeSantis. And also DeSantis does a little bit better with uh, independent voters. And then we also ask, uh, hey, among Democrats, should Biden run for reelection? And interestingly enough, or probably or maybe uninteresting, or unsurprisingly, is that one third said, yeah, I think you should run. One third said no. One third were undecided, which is kind of rare for an incumbent president, especially after coming off, uh, saving off what was supposed to be a, a lot of big losses, kind of weathering that GOP storm this year. Uh, you notice that, you know, he should be in a little better standing with Democrats, but they're, they're kind of lukewarm on Biden running uh, running for re-election. There is a lot of time between now and November of 2024. And Mike, we're going to keep comparing notes as we get to that point. Thanks so much for giving us an early peek at what we might expect. We have some more uh, stuff out there, including stuff on the election confidence or election integrity and the stuff that Lake's been saying. And the other folks have been saying, kind of asking voters what they thought about that, but Folks just go to ohpredictive.com or press release section. They can check out the Arizona stuff and uh, check out the insights and hear what Arizona voters are uh, thinking and feeling. That was OH Predictive Insights' Mike Noble. And we'll post a link to OHBI's website along with the podcast version of this show. Look for both at kawc.org. Welcome back to The Field. I'm Lisa Sturgis. The week of March 2nd is Civics Learning Week, and of course, the Arizona Clean Elections Commission seized the opportunity to spread the good word to the electorate. It hosted a webinar Thursday night to familiarize Arizonans with everything from the levels of government to how to hold polite political conversation. But the Clean Elections Commission does much more to keep the state's voters informed than hold the occasional seminar. We sat down with Education Director Gina Roberts to learn more about what the commission can teach us. Do you feel like education and communication kind of will help take the edge off the rhetoric that we've seen in recent years? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think once, you know, folks have that that education about how the process works, whether it's voting and how their ballots are counted, to, again, just, you know, what a certain elected official is responsible for, if they have that accurate education and they know how the process works, then they can speak correctly and, and you know, be open more to having those communications. And, you know, we're no longer really the society anymore that shies away from talking about politics at the dinner table, right? It seems like you can't really escape that political talk. And, you know, it's important that when people are in, engaging in that dialogue that they do so um, in a respectful manner and that way the conversation can be meaningful because if we can communicate our viewpoints and understand our differences in a respectful manner, then really we're looking at just creating a more healthy and, again, respectful society. And so, you know, obviously, you know, we're America, right? We, we can disagree and we can have different viewpoints, um, but we need to be able to communicate those so that, you know, ultimately we can understand each other. And so I think when we go through these tips and tools that, we, that Clean Elections is providing voters to have that political talk and a respectful dialogue and giving them that education about how their government works, then yes, hopefully it will ultimately create a more you know, civil um, approach to, to understanding these differences. And, and like you said, you know, kind of hopefully tampering down on some of that um, negative and, and even you know, kind of dangerous dialogue that's been occurring. More than 20 years into your mission, 
and you are completely dedicated to the proposition of educating the public. So talk to me a little bit more about, you know, you said there's not really an off-season from elections for those of us that um, work in politics. Right. You get like a week or two and then it's game on all over again. (laughs) Of of course. So, you know, everybody looks forward to those big election years, our primary and our generals, which we host in in even numbered years. Right. So we just came up with 2022. People are thinking, okay, you know, no elections until 2024 when we have our presidential. Um, But actually in 2023, uh, we we will have local elections. You're going to see those city council elections, your your town uh, council in, in your town um, or city council elections in your local district. So whether it's a school board or, or you know, special fire district, there are elections that are occurring. And because these are the ones that are happening in really your own backyard, they can have more of a direct impact on your daily life than maybe some of these higher up elections that, that you know, really get all of the, um, the attention. And so, at clean elections, our goal is really to promote participation in the political process. And so, yes, that is through voting, but, you know, the legislature is also in session right now. So that includes, you know, learning how to contact your elected officials and telling them how you feel. So really, at the end of the day, it doesn't just end on election night once a voter has cast their ballot. We keep going and we try to keep them engaged in that entire political process, um, you know, throughout, throughout every year, throughout every cycle. So, so really, yes, it's voter education, how to vote in those, you know, um, midterms and presidential elections, but also these local elections that are happening. And of course, you know, how to stay engaged with, with their elected officials and overall promoting that participation in the political process. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out, there is a wealth of information on your website. It, our website is really, you know, a gem. We have, thank you, we have a wealth of information on there. It covers everything that you need to know from if you're interested in learning how was, you know, my ballot counted to what are the security measures in place to who's currently representing me in my district and what's their phone number or their email. We've got it all there for you. Our thanks to Regina Roberts, Education Director for the Arizona Clean Elections Commission. We'll look forward to speaking to her again as we head towards our next election day. The state legislative session is entering its third month and our local lawmakers have been busy. Next week, we'll sit down for conversations with two of our sitting representatives, longtime lawmaker Tim Dunn and freshman Michael Carbone. Both sit on the Land and Ag Committee, so we have much to discuss and we hope you'll join us. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.